This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, virtual escape games, and Patreon supporters like you. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest are Maxime Fillion and Roxanne Fillion of Immersia in Montreal, Canada. Immersia is one of the top escape room companies in the Montreal area, and they are a family business known for producing narrative-focused games with incredible atmosphere. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you very much for having us. This is really fun. I'm so glad you could join us today. I had the great pleasure of coming up and playing all of your rooms when I attended the Montreal Room Escape Artist Tour. And I just had a blast and I was so impressed with the quality of your rooms. So I'm, I'm thrilled you can join us today. Well, that's really nice. Very happy to be here. One of the funny things about Immersia being on our tour was that the first time we went to Montreal, you folks weren't even on our radar. We went, we played a ton of stuff, and we loved the games at Escapearium and Sovkipa, and they're amazing as well. It was a few months after we got home that we had gotten a message from Rita Orlov of Post Curious, who's also been a previous guest on this show, and she had gone and played your stuff and informed us that we had completely missed out. Yeah, well, that's my bad, I guess, because I'm the marketing guy. And <laughs> if you guys didn't hear about us, that's my fault. <laughs> no, David, throw him under the bus. <laughs> well, we're so glad that we found you. And when we went back up and played, the thing that stood out so much to me and to Lisa was the atmosphere of your games. There is a style to them that feels uniquely Immersia. I'm curious, where does that come from? I would say that uh, part of it is because, I will speak for myself, I'm a singer. Stefan, who is a co-owner of Immersia, he's an actor. And we wanted to feel like every room is like entering a theater, like being part of a play. And I think that's why you can feel it in our room. And when we realized that we could do escape game like a show, that's when everything's light up. Let's do a play. Let, that's it. Let's give them the chance to be part of that play. And I think that gives something very special, I think, to our room. Yeah. And what I would add to that, because obviously there's different sides to our family. There's the artistic side of the family. And then there's more the gamer style of the family. I was really into video games when I was younger. Even today, I still play video games. And I've always dreamed of being able to play a real-life video game. And when we heard about escape rooms, we were like, this is probably the best proposition that exists right now to do that. And again, with the combination of this artistic style and this passion towards gaming, I think it was a perfect blend to create an experience that combines cool gameplay as well as great atmosphere. That actually explains a lot because one of the first things I noticed when I played your games, what I think sets it apart is the very high production value. And you also have a very high entertainment value. So it's not just about the gameplay or the puzzles, which are very, very fun, but there is something about it that did feel 
very theatrical from the videos that you have playing in your lobby, some of the introduction videos before you go in the game, even the videos you guys have playing during the game were very well produced. And they really made me feel like I was in that world, you know, the newscaster. I don't want to spoil too much, but I really felt like I was kidnapped and put into a van and driven somewhere. I mean, <laughs> what a, what an introduction. That's not spoiling the game, is it? No, no, no. This is no. this is just this is just the intro. This is this is onboarding you and getting you immersed into the world. So, it makes so much sense that you guys have a family of entertainers and actors and gamers, of course. Yeah, and it was it was Roxanne that actually found the person that it's it's a one-man band that creates these videos. That was one of my questions for you. Where does that production value come from? Who brought that skill set? Because it's not normal to have videos that are produced to that degree in an escape room. <laughs> well, I think from working in the business, we have friends now that we know they can do miracles with nothing. So, you know, <laughs> when we meet people like that, we are just telling them, come on board with us. It will be a fun ride. I think... For a, a video maker like Luc, the one who's doing our videos, he's having so much fun doing that kind of stuff because he's not doing that in real life. You know, it's not the kind of gig he, he used to have. Yeah, because I was talking to him when we were shooting actually our most recent game that is going to eventually release in English, which is centered around a game show. And what he was telling me was similar to what Laksan was saying is that, you know, he's doing a lot of corporate government school type projects that are again not necessarily super fun for him to do but very lucrative but then he's willing to take a pay cut a little bit for for his buddies to do like very very fun projects and that's a, a win-win situation for all of us because he's having fun doing what he does best and everyone benefits from his talent and and it resonates because everyone's talking about the quality of these videos and the integration that we do with these videos. And this is something we started doing at the very beginning, like our very first scenarios before even the, like in 2016, that was our vision. We wanted to add video to the experience and that sort of setting. And, and that really helped set us apart. And you know what? It's, we're a big fan of Walt Disney. And when you come play our games, the first contact you have with us, it's that first video so if it's not good when i play some games and the introduction is like I'm, oh, i'm not in the mood to do the game and it's the same thing when you do a disney attraction you always have a video to explain everything the story behind and we wanted to do the same thing and i remember one family came to our place and they said oh my god it's like disney and I was like crying and we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the listeners at home could see my face right now because I'm like, yes, yes, yes to all these things. David knows one of the things I complain about the most when I'm playing a room and even if it's a great room, but the videos are so janky half of the time, you know, I feel like there's no thought given to any of the videos that play in the room, let alone the intro video. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but we're not only talking about the videos that you guys have that are playing in the room and introducing the room. You guys have also filmed these high production values that are almost like a commercial for your rooms that play in the lobby. 
And they are so much fun. I remember the one that you guys did for Circus of the Lost Souls. And it has all of you guys in it. And it's so much fun to watch. It's so entertaining. You know, and I wish more rooms would do this. Of course, I know that, again, this feels like a bit of an indulgence. But to your point about Disney, one of my favorite things that Disney has started doing lately is how much decor and entertainment they put into the lines. So in, in a lot of the newer rides now, when you're waiting in line, there's videos playing. There's little interactive things that you could play with while you're waiting to go into the ride. It just, it makes you hyped. It makes you excited for the game. And I also think it's very good advertising. So if somebody books one game and they come in and they're like, whoa, what's, the, what's that video? You know, let me go book that other one. I just think it's such a great idea. I have one question though. I feel like part of the reason people don't do this more often is because of the budget involved in producing these kinds of videos. I don't know if you guys mind talking about like how much it costs. You don't have to go into numbers exactly, but like how did you kind of weigh the risks versus cons and does it cost more or less than you kind of thought it would? When we do a budget for our room, we budget this part very precise because it's part of the game. It's as important as a puzzle. What we like to do is play in our own video so we don't get paid to play in our video so we don't hire actors so that's fun but it's a very good way to promote our rooms it's just part of the whole budget of the room yeah and like i mentioned earlier it's who you know not <laughs> what you know <laughs> and having the right contacts and the network that allows for having very talented people come help us makes a huge difference as well and you have to use the resource around you. For one of our games, Warping in Laval, it's like time travel. We wanted to do a nice video, but we couldn't afford to build a big machine. And so we talked to people around us. There's a place in Laval called the Cosmodome. It's like a, a space museum. And so we made a partnership. So no cost. So you have to see what's around you and make the most out of it. It's really smart. Most escape room companies pick themes and stories and settings that mimic popular Hollywood blockbusters. But Immersion doesn't seem to really do that. How do you go about picking the settings and stories for your games? Well, it goes into many different directions. On my side of things, whether it's from the stories to the gameplay, it comes from TV series, movies, uh, video games. Even board games, I'll give you an example. I think you've played The Weekend at the Shack at our Laval location. Yes, indeed. Along with the cabaret, this was the first scenario we, we came up with. And our first inspiration was really about something very typical, you know, like a kidnapping or something like there's a psycho person and whatever. They, but what we were thinking about was, okay, so, because it was the first time we were designing a, an escape room. So we were like, you know, we, we didn't really know exactly how to go about it. But then when we when we thought about the setting, it was, okay, let's see what... And, and it was just me and uh, Roxanne's husband, Stefan. We played a video game called Until Dawn. I don't know if you've played this video game. It came out a couple of years ago. And it was sort of a game that was set up in a, like in a cottage shack. And in our market, there was no escape room that had this kind of setting. And we were like, Jesus Christ, this is something we have to... We have to do so so that's how we decided about the setting and then we were also got inspired from 
an old board game that we used to play when we were very young called Atmosphere. I don't know if, or Nightmare. I don't know in, in, in English, it might've been called Nightmare. It was sort of a VHS board game where you put the VHS in and there was this guy on the screen for 60 minutes that would talk to you and, and give you some directions or challenges while you were playing the board game. I don't know if you've- I think I've seen this, but I've never played it. Okay. And that's how this whole thing came about and, and created this melting pot of inspirations to create this game. And it's, it's the same thing with the Grand Immersion Hotel. Like it's, we took the aesthetics of Grand Budapest Hotel and we mixed it with a Netflix series. I don't remember the name of it, but it was the story of this guy who was delivering pizza and ended up having to do a bank robbering with a bomb on his neck. And he had to do these different things. And there was like a paper trail, like a breadcrumb of things he had to do before the bomb exploded. And it's a true story. And it ended up that the guy, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but let's just say it went boom. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, why don't we take that and put it in the, and it's, it's, it's a very like unlikely combination, but it, it ends up actually working pretty well. <laughs> This is what I've been trying to tell people to do for so many years. And I've said it so many times because offices are your typical escape room setting and offices are boring, but you can make an office interesting. You just have to combine it with something else. So if your office is say on the moon, that completely changes the aesthetic. It completely changes the vibe. It changes the story that you're going to be telling because the story you're going to tell in some boring office in any city is not the story you'd be telling in an office on the moon. That bringing together of two unlikely things produces so many of my favorite games. You also cast us as ourselves. Of the three games that I played at that one location, we're not like, you know, your FBI agents with some kind of specialized knowledge. No, we're just some random people who you know, got kidnapped or stumbled or came to the circus. It helps with that feeling of realism and immersion to know that we can come in and play as ourselves because you don't want to ask too much preparation from the players. Like it's already enough that I'm dealing with this room. Now I have to take on some character or something, right? We love to tell stories and we put a lot of effort in the narrative. And, you know, because some players don't pay attention to narrative, you don't want to give them a character you come to play and we want you to understand the story. And if we ask you to be a character and understand the story, and then people are just like, oh, let me play. Just let me play. <laughs> I get that. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in it so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. PG, I know you've been using Morty a lot since it was in beta. Tell me what your thoughts are about it. What is it and what is it to you? I love Morty. This is the escape room app that I have been waiting for. The first thing I love about it is that it's easy to find rooms. You just pull it up, 
there's a map and on the map it populates all of the escape rooms that are within like a like a five mile radius of you a 20 mile radius of you wherever you want to go it can redo the search in, within an area so it's really easy to find different escape rooms to find rooms that are conveniently located next to each other so if you want to do like two or three rooms in a day it's easy to plan it out that way the other thing i love about morty is that there's a tracker for escape rooms so you can keep track of all the rooms you've played keep track of rooms that you want to play and you can even see rooms that your friends have played because there's kind of a social aspect one of the things that i like is that when you've played a room you can tag all of your friends in it and it'll automatically show up as being played in their app as well for them so i i just find it so useful for keeping track of different escape rooms features things like that I completely agree. And I love that you can use all those social features to help pick games that your friends haven't played. It solves a lot of problems. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. Maxim, you've talked about this a little bit, but all of your games feel like they're built around a hook. How do you decide what to make? Like, How do you decide what mechanic or concept is worth building a game around? Well, one thing I really like about escape rooms as a player is the fact that is the game going to take me a little by surprise? Am I going to have a wow or aha moment at some point in the game that's going to either change the course of things or, you know, create a new ambiance or something like that. And I think that creating this moment, this surprise, this unexpected thing, I think that's one of the big keys to create a memorable experience for our players because, you know, the game is 60 minutes. So a lot of things can, even though it goes by fast, a lot of things happen in 60 minutes. But a lot of times what people remember when they walk out, it's this little aha moment that happens that sort of changes the pace or or brings a little, uh, yeah, a change of pace to to the game. And and that's usually what they remember at the end, you know, in the hotel, I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a little twist once you progress further into the game, whoops, something happens and there's something you need to do very quickly initially with escape rooms when i played my first escape rooms just the fact that there was a second room was like a whoa what the hell and if it was a hidden door on top of that it was like what the hell am i experiencing you know it was it was sick now now it's sort of run of the mill sort of thing so we have to be a little bit more creative it doesn't mean we need to put a whole ton of budget into it sometimes it can be something very simple but i think that is one of the keys to success and that's why we don't necessarily tell the whole story before you walk into the game. I think you do a really great job of creating memorable moments and surprise and the opportunity to discover unexpected things without spending a ton of money on making that happen, which is something that I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> uh, we were talking about the the weekend at the shack and when we opened this first place in Laval, we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to try to figure out how to make these wow moments without 
the big budget. And you know what? The, the first concept of the weekend at the shack, we wanted to be like kidnapping and stuff like that. But our first idea was this bad guy was sitting in his kind of an office with a lot of screen and it was too much. And we were like, how can we make this office with screen and technologies? We couldn't afford it. So we said, let's put the same person in a shack. Because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's easy to build a shack. So I think that's the key. You have to think outside of the box. And you have to, you have to realize that maybe doing a submarine is expensive. So don't do submarine <laughs> if you cannot afford a submarine. Do it if you have the budget. I played once in uh, Paris. It was amazing. But if you cannot afford things, just think outside of the box and make it happen somewhere else. I could not agree more. In Quebec, games are either in French only or French and English. What are the challenges of designing for two languages? It's not as bad as we can think, because uh, obviously we always have to think in both languages. Because one of the things that sucks about having bilingual rooms is that when you see an item or something that shows both languages, you know automatically this is an important clue because it's in both languages. Mm -hmm. You know, so so there's there's a dead giveaway there when when that happens. So in that context, we try to limit the amount of stuff that requires a lot of language, or we have things made in French. And if we know it's an English group, we take it out and we put it in English. So we try to find the right balance between that. Uh, another challenge we had with our most recent scenario is that there is a lot of video in our latest scenario in, in the Laval location. And for shooting, we decided to do it only in French and that we would dub the uh, English. So you might recognize my voice <laughs> as one of the characters <laughs> if you ever play <laughs> this new game show in English. It's not that much of a challenge to deal with having to do French and, and English games. It's just that we always have to think about, you know, if we're fixing something, because we have like, let's say our program that runs the scenarios, you know, we have a setup in French and we have a setup in English. So if we change something, it's stupid, but we always have to think, okay, I changed it in this one. I have to change it in the other one so that it works in both. I don't know if you've encountered rooms in Quebec that didn't have an English version, but I believe most of them are fully bilingual. Most of them are fully bilingual. I knew that your new game show game wasn't available in English yet when we were up for the tour. For me, most of the games that I've played in, in Quebec, I have not noticed the presence of another language unless, you know, sometimes there, as you said, there are signs that have both languages and it's like, okay, yep. And Lisa speaks French fairly fluently. I um, I can... I didn't know that. Yeah, Lisa's, yeah, Lisa's <laughs> French is really good. I can sort of understand. I have a very hard time forming responses and forming syntax. But we've played in France together in French-only games, and we can usually make our way through them, except we'll struggle on wordplay, um, which is usually, I mean, that's just higher level of any second language. If you can actually make it through wordplay puzzles, you're probably a pretty competent speaker. 
for all of the videos that you guys make, do you usually only film it the one time maybe in French and then dub it in English? Or do you actually film like two different versions? Most of the time we just do it in French or there is no narrative in the video. So we just go to my studio and do the voiceover in English and in French. My sister who's doing the videos, she actually dubbed herself on it, I think. But one great example, you guys have played the hotel. And one of the reasons why, and, and this was filmed before the pandemic, you talked about the truck and everything, but when you see the guy, we purposely put a mask on his face because <laughs> he was going to say his lines in French. And then we were thinking, ah, we're going to put a mask on your face so that we're just going to dub over it. When you're going to speak on the mic, put the same mask on <laughs> and just say, because it's the same Stéphane, uh, her husband, he's not very comfortable. Let's just put it this way in English. He's going to hear this. He's going to want to kill me, um, <laughs> but he knows it. So that's fine. That is so smart. So you just cover their mouths, right? So this way we don't exactly. see Exactly. <laughs> so it didn't, it, so it was seamless that the dubbing could have been, you can't see that it's actually dubbing. Oh, that's so smart. So that, that's one example. But sometimes I, he filmed a couple of things in English and it gives him a sort of bad guy look as well. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Good villain <laughs> attire. <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Virtual Escape Games. Virtual Escape Games specializes in virtual team building adventures for teams anywhere around the globe, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I love Virtual Escape Games. Their games are well-produced, they're quirky, and they have really fun nostalgic themes like an 80s workout video, 90s teen slasher movies, or like hacker themes from the early 2000s. And they're filled with a bunch of fun pop culture references. They use Telescape, which is my favorite interface, as you all know. All of the games from Virtual Escape Games are easy enough to pick up that they won't be intimidating for people new to puzzle games. But I think they're still fun, even for a group of experienced puzzle enthusiasts. Their GMs are all charming, funny, and professional. Virtual Escape Games specializes in corporate team building, and they can accommodate large groups, anywhere from a team of four up to 400 or higher. If you're looking for a fun and affordable team building experience, you should definitely check out Virtual Escape Games. You can learn more at virtualescapegames.com. Details in the show notes. One of the things that we love when picking a tour destination is finding owner communities where the owners actually get along well and like each other. It's clear that you're friends with Jonathan and Sasha from Escaparium and Steve from Sofkipu, among other owners in your area. What are the benefits to having a good relationship with other companies near you? I would say that when you play a good game, you play it once, and then you cannot play it again. So I'm very proud sometimes when people ask, because they have played all our games, hey, do you have a place that we could go? And then I know that our friends 
have good games. So if we keep this thing alive between us, so the gamers will continue to play and then we'll have time to build something else and they will come back to us and then our friends will build something else and they will go back to them. So the escape community will stay alive. So if we're not friends, well, they will play our games and then they're going to go home and they will never play escape games. No, it's, it's important. And, and what I would add to that is, you know, we're friends with owners that are passionate about escape rooms, which is not always the case and which is fine. Also, you don't have to be passionate and run escape rooms. For some people, it's, it's part of a, like we had there, there's a place uh, where they have like go-karts and, and paintball and escape rooms. And these people are not passionate about escape rooms. They bought concepts and implemented them in their location, which is fine. It's just that we're not particularly friendly, not enemies either, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're not friends with these owners because... They don't have the fire. Exactly. We built escape rooms with the same purpose and intent as Jonathan did for Escaparium and just as Steven did with Sauvekeeper, among others. And that's why we're friendly with each other. And we went to Escaparium to watch the Turpica and we were happy for Escaparium for them to to be nominated with uh, Voodoo Queen and be part of the top companies. You know, I'm happy about that because we, we need that as a community to have destinations that are renowned worldwide. So I like to think that we're also part of that. Just failed the cut by a bit this time around, but you know, we'll come back. <laughs> you guys are producing amazing stuff. You'll keep charging up the list. I am confident <laughs> of that. One of the other things that I've noticed about the Montreal area is that I think it's because you're in close communication with your competitors is that there's not a lot of rehashing of themes and stories and settings like a lot of other parts of the country or the world that we visited where we go and we play one game and we play two others and they all feel like they're kind of the same game just slightly different there's not a lot of repeats in your area do you guys talk about what you have in the works we do have conversations about what's coming up. Oftentimes, like a great example with Escaparium, actually, we had released the Circus of the Lost Souls. I don't remember the exact name of their Voodoo Queen scenario, but trust me, they changed that name as soon as they saw that it was a Circus of the Lost Soul because of the Lost Souls was part of the name of that scenario. So as soon as that happened, he just called me up and he's like, what do we do? <laughs> so I'm like, it might be good if maybe you look into maybe another name. <laughs> I don't want to impose anything, but we're pretty close. I could totally see that game being titled something like Island of the Lost Souls or something like that. I think like it was that. that. It was, it was exactly <laughs> that name. So we're obviously trying to, when either Escaparium or, or other nearby places come out with a scenario automatically we're like we're not going to do that even if if that was part of an idea that we might have had and wanted to develop we're always going to try and do something a little different and i think he thinks the same way as well like we're not necessarily interested in doing like a harry potter sort of themed room even though we know this is a very 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 known recipe for success but i know that they do have two different rooms of that nature i know there's another company that has one so we're like, no, let's go, let's go into a different route and not just go for the ones that are already there. Smart. So you both are cousins. Immersia is largely a family operation. 
what are the pros and cons to working with your family? Uh, you always talk uh, business all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're lucky because we're very complementary in our skill set. There you go. Everybody's doing their thing and we ask for stuff when we need to. And we're, we're not all in the business the same way. Maxime and Marilyn, uh, my sister, are there like 24-7. They are the core of Emerge. And, you know, my husband comes in when we build new scenarios. So we're playing like that. So I think that's what makes it work because everybody's working their stuff and we're happy like that. Were you all escape room enthusiasts as a family before you even got into the business? So did you guys go out and play a bunch of games together? Yes. The first escape game we did was at my bachelorette party, actually. Um, <laughs> yes. And we were uh, all the family except my husband. And we played the Prohibition, I think. One of the first locations in Montreal called uh, Echeptois. It was the only company at that time. And uh, my sister was looking for activities for that day. And she said, oh, we have to try this. Let's call Maxime. He's a gamer. He's going to be good. <laughs> and I sucked. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we had so much fun that we just want to do more and do more and do more and do more. And then we realized that we were looking for experience that did not exist in Montreal. So Maxim said, let's build an escape game, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I said before, we wanted something very immersive. We love Disney. We wanted to feel Disney in an escape game. And we didn't find that in Montreal at that time. So we said, well, let's be the first one to do mini play for escape game. So that's how it happened. I love it. Everyone on your team has their own specialization. And you've talked about this a few different times now. How much crossover do you have and how much do you help one another versus stay in your own lanes and do your own expertise? There's a, quite a bit of crossover, actually, in terms of what we all do. Everyone obviously is involved in the game creation and story and a lot of the puzzles as well. So I'd say all of us are, are really involved in this aspect. In terms of the operations and day-to-day -day stuff, I'm going to be involved with Stefan, who's, who's in more around the technology and the programs that we use to, to set up the game. I, you know, I got interested into that, and I sort of learned a couple of new things from that perspective. Marilyn, my cousin and her sister, is mainly operations, but obviously I'm also involved in the operations aspect of the business, the HR aspect of the business. I'm mostly marketing, but again... Everyone sort of pitches in ideas and things that we can do to improve our, our visibility and things like that. My sister, you know, who's involved in a smaller way, but she still gets involved in the social media aspect. She's a former Olympic athlete. I don't know if that was known in, in, the, in the circles, but... She's a two-time Olympic medalist, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Credit where it's due there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not jealous. Hey folks, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about something that I've been working on with a bunch of people from the team over here for years. We've been wanting to host Recon, the Reality Escape convention in person in Boston 
for a very long time. And circumstances have halted that effort. But not this year. We're doing it. August 21st and 22nd of 2022 in Boston. Recon is happening. We are blending Escape Room Conference with the tours we've been producing for years to produce a proper Escape Room convention. You'll meet people. You'll play games. You'll hear wonderful talks. It's going to be a great time, and I truly hope that you come and join us. Tickets for Recon are available now. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Maxim, your background is in SEO, and you were doing that professionally prior to opening Immersia. You also gave a talk on that very subject at Recon this past year, which we'll link to that talk in the show notes. When you look at other escape room company websites, if you had to pick one thing, what do you feel is the biggest missed opportunity that most companies ignore? That's a pretty good question because obviously things changed a lot in the past couple years in terms of how people use the internet and how businesses showcase themselves on a website or other means. Initially, uh, one of the big problems that I was noticing was because a lot of people are using mobile phones, that's where I think people need to be more conscious in their website development. Because like I think I mentioned it in the talk, it's, it's, you know, when you develop your website, when you work on your website, you know, I have a giant screen in front of me and I have my laptop here and I have a big screen. And usually when I develop my website, I look at my screen and I try to make it look good on my big screen and all that. But the reality is that it's the vast majority of the traffic now that comes on this tiny little screen on your phone that's vertical, you know? <laughs> so it's a very, very different experience. And I think that a lot of them are doing, are doing it well, but sometimes it's small details that make it so the experience on, on a mobile phone is not as uh, user-friendly as it could be. I definitely have seen that. 100% accurate. I mean, I would say like, I feel like 50% of the time when I'm looking for a room is usually right after I've already just played one. <laughs> and all of us are like, let's go play another, like what's nearby. And now we're all on our phones trying to, you know, see what's close by that that we all haven't played yet. So I, I think that is like, that's such a great point to have to optimize for smartphones. Roxanne, shifting over to your expertise, Let's talk finance for a moment. How do you assess the financial success of an individual escape game? That's a big one. You lose track sometimes when you build an escape game on small costs. And there is always more stuff coming in or you change your mind. What I'm trying to do is give Maxim the, the best budget that I can do. And then I flip it to him. And then he's good because he's got all these stats. So uh, what I'm saying is that I'm trying to be as clear as possible so I can give those numbers to Maxim. And then he can compete all the stats and, you know, give us some, some numbers and, you know, trying to figure out for the next game what we should do or what we shouldn't do or what kind of marketing we have to do. It's easy to see when a room is not working as well. I'm thinking about La Station Oublié, Max. Yeah, the Forgotten Station, um, which was a competitive room. We thought it would be a, a room very easy to, to build, 
it wasn't easy at all. And it was expensive, more expensive than I thought. And it wasn't our most popular room. So we realized very fast that this room would not be like rentable. Profitable. Yeah. So we just decided to change it. Yeah. And what I would add to that is when we did our business plan initially, we were giving maybe two years a lifespan for, for, for any of our games. So one great indicator of success is obviously sustainability over time. Because when I look at, at one of our games like the Weekend at the Shack, this game has been around for over five years now. And it's still one of our most popular ones, if not the most popular one. And it's still generating very positive outcome from the clients because we do like surveys and, and that kind of stuff. And what we're noticing is that if you're marketing savvy um, NPS score. Mm -hmm. The net promoter score. Exactly. Understanding the impact of someone potentially recommending this experience to their friends and whatnot. And that Weekend at the Shack scores the highest. Five years and more into the... so. So factors of success beyond money, just doing like a bottom line thing. I'm looking at sustainability and traffic over time. And that's just a great indicator of the enjoyment that people have out of it. That is also a very interesting perspective for diehard escape room players to keep in mind is that what your typical player base is loving may not be the exact same thing that the diehard fans are loving. I heard the um, talk from Errol that specifically mentioned that we should not develop escape rooms for him. Yep. <laughs> He made it very clear in his talk. And so that, that, that's to your point. Yeah, we'll link that talk in the uh, show notes as well. Our last game, the game show, it's an escape room game show. It's very different. You cannot go fast. You have to just work with the game. And we knew that it, it wouldn't be the, the most popular among the strong fans of Escape Room because it's not a hard room. The puzzles are very simple, but the twist is nice because we love twists, you know? But we knew that when we launched this one, it wouldn't be like the top on the list for strong fans of Escape Game. But we did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because again, we were working with a very limited budget because we did that right in the midst of probably the worst part of the pandemic. And we did it also with a very, very limited amount of space. Mm -hmm. So these are two elements that are difficult to deal with. So that's why we were thinking we don't have to take a huge risk here. We can try something completely new. That's going to be very fresh for some of our clients that have been through our, our, our games. And we've had some extremely positive response from this game. People were like, wow, I, I had a lot of fun playing this. And we had other people, I remember a couple specifically, they're big fans of ours. And the moment I saw at the beginning of the game, that person look at her watch and go tick, I was like, this oh. is not going to work. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it's someone that is very competitive and all that. And, and they were very honest with us after the game. And they were like, we did not enjoy this game because it was not part of their style. 
It was not what they were expecting. That's another element that we need to be careful of as well is, you know, we want to give surprises to people, but at the same time, we don't want to fool them into thinking that they're going to live something and it's going to be completely different from what they were expecting. So we have to find the right balance between these two. That makes sense to me. I mean, I think the more we can get the definition of escape room to broaden and the more we can get people to expect more and different things from the medium, the better. When that happens, it's entirely natural that some people will go and say, yeah, there are parts of this that I don't like. But that's the same for video games and movies and books. There's genres you like and there's genres you don't. And that's cool. That doesn't mean that you don't like movies. It just means you don't like a particular style of movie. So if you would like to hear more from Maxim talking about some of the things that they have done with their game designs, we have a Spoilers Club episode where we talked with him extensively about one of their newer games, Saluta Medicina Institute, which I think is brilliant. And uh, after this year's Turpico Awards, I think deeply underappreciated. <laughs> if, so if you're interested in that, our uh, higher level Patreon backers can hear that whole conversation where we dive deep into all of the brilliant things that were done to create this game, and they really were brilliant. So I hope you check that out. Maxim, Roxanne, what comes next for you guys and for Immersia? Oh my God. Oh my God. I think, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think escape game are moving forward a bit. They're changing and we, we want to be part of that change. And I think we want to put more narrative in our scenarios because that's what we like. We like telling stories. And I don't want to say that we want to throw the puzzle out, but we want to bring puzzle at a next level, you know, not necessarily open padlocks and stuff, but doing things we want to try to put the story and the player at the center of our rooms to come. Yeah, and I would say short term, Warp Inc. is going to be available remotely. So I know you guys haven't played it, but if <laughs> you guys are ever interested in doing that, we worked on that on the past few weeks when we closed, actually, for, uh, for COVID. So we were like, hey, we wanted to do that, and this was the opportunity to do it. So where we're going to be opening it like next week uh, <laughs> remotely. But um, yeah, so like Aksan was saying, what's next for us also is we love escape rooms. I think it's a format that's here to stay for a while. Like let's say the traditional format, I'm saying it with air quotes. But what we're also going to be looking into is how can we take this outside the box of an escape room and use the world as our playground? And how can we make that happen with, again, the same sense of immersion and that same feeling of being taken by surprise? And that's what we we're looking to explore in the, in the very near future. One does not eliminate the other. I think there's very complementary things between these different types of experiences. And we want to keep moving forward. We want to keep growing. And so I think that you know, in the medium term, that's something we'll be exploring at least starting this year. Can't wait to see what you make. <laughs> I, I, I'm so excited. I would still come up to Montreal and bring my other escape room friends and replay everything. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll have forgotten everything by then. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and we want to go to other places as well. Like we want to go to LA, we want to go to New Orleans, we want to go to Houston, we want to go to Spain. I watched Terpica and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is going to cost us a gazillion dollars. This is ridiculous. <laughs> the amount of places where there's so many appreciated games and, and very high quality games. Well, where can people find you on social media? So we're on Facebook. We're uh, Emerja uh, Jeu d'Evasion, which is escape game in French. But if you just type Emerja, just make sure not to... There's an Emerja in France as well. <laughs> And also Emerge Jeu d'Evasion on Instagram. We have a Facebook and Instagram account. Okay, I'll put the links in the show notes. Well, thank you both so very much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And if anyone wants to continue hearing more from these two, we'll have them on for the bonus episode. We'll be recording it right after this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. That was fun. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. I'd like to take a minute to talk to y'all from the heart. PG and I put a lot into making all of these episodes, as do the team that is off microphone. My wife, Lisa, Steve, our editor, put a ton into producing this podcast. All of this is made possible because of the support from our Patreon community. That financial support allows us to invest in the production value of what we're making and allows us to inch our way towards making this into a proper career. It's hard to monetize content these days, and our Patreon community really does allow us to do that and we're really trying to grow. So we put out extra bonus episodes for our patrons. We have a spoilers club for higher level backers. We've got a Discord chat, and we're always adding new things to the mix for our patrons. So if you love what we're doing, please consider supporting us. It means more than you could ever imagine. And you'll get a whole bunch of extra content too. Thank you again to all our patrons. If you aren't one, I hope you become one. Speaking of our Patreon supporters, I want to take a moment to thank some of our highest level backers. This podcast would not exist without your support. Thank you so much to Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Jonathan Driscoll, Byron Delmonico, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, and Scott Olson. Thank you so much for your support. So we're on a trip to go to uh, Quebec City, like three hours from Montreal, and we do a pit stop right in the middle at Trois-Rivières. They have brilliant games, and we did a zombie apocalypse thing. I don't like zombies at all. I'm scared. I don't like that. I just don't like that. And they have actors in their rooms, and the one that's playing the zombie in this room is like, he's a zombie inside of him, you know? He's playing the zombie, and he is really a real zombie. And <laughs> it's very dark, it's a simple game, but I was so scared. I found like a locker, locked myself in. I was like, I'm not playing this game anymore, just let me out, I, I, I don't want to play this game. And we were like, Everybody was so scared that we couldn't do anything. We were losing the keys. We were like throwing papers everywhere. We couldn't play. Maxim got stuck on a kind of a tunnel with 
this freaking zombie and he, he he was in his face for like five minutes maxim was stuck in the tunnel he couldn't move he couldn't do anything he was stuck with the zombie i was crying it was awful but i had fun <laughs> <laughs> but it scared the shit out of me